Kansas legislature on Monday returns to the State House for the start of a new session where lawmakers will entertain a variety of policy ideas in the weeks and months ahead. Kansas Interfaith Action, a multi-faith advocacy organization, is among the groups hoping to influence those debates. I'm Editor-in-Chief Sherman Smith, and joining me on the Kansas Reflector podcast today are Pastor Robert Johnson, the lead servant of St. Mark United Methodist Church in Wichita and a Kansas Interfaith Action board member, and Rabbi Modi Reber, who serves as Executive Director of Kansas Interfaith Action. Welcome to the show. Good to be here, Sherman. Thank you. It's good to be here. Thank you both. And maybe we'll start off here, uh, Rabbi, with uh, just give us a little bit of background on Kansas Interfaith Action, what the group is all about. Uh, okay, sure. So uh, Kansas Interfaith Faith Action, or KIFA, as we call it, <clears throat> is a statewide uh, multi-faith issue advocacy organization. Uh, so we work in uh, predominantly mainline uh, Protestant, uh, Jewish, Muslim, some liberal Catholic um, faith communities, Unitarians, can't leave them out, uh, faith communities to uh, bring a moral voice to public policy in Kansas. Uh, so I'm a, I'm a registered lobbyist, um, and uh, we have a, a, an advocacy list of advocacy priorities, which is what we're going to talk about today. And we attempt to uh, influence legislation in a variety of areas. Our major mission areas are uh, racial and uh, racial justice and discrimination, uh, economic justice and poverty, gun violence, and climate disruption. Uh, so basically anything that comes up in those four categories we'll get involved with. We work often in coalition with other groups, uh, sometimes uh, as the oftentimes as sort of the faith voice of a coalition, um, and sometimes we lead uh, coalitions ourselves. Um, so we're gearing up for the legislative session and uh, and and generated our public policy positions for next session yesterday. We sent them out yesterday. Well, let's dive into some of these policy decisions. Um, one of the the first ones at the top of the list is called Teach the Truth. You know, we've, we've heard a lot of debates leading up to the start of the session just through the interim committees about critical race theory, this idea that it's uh, that somehow school children are being told that, um, well, and we've heard specifically that little white kids are being told that they're responsible for everything bad that happened to a black person, which I don't think is actually happening and is kind of a perversion of critical race theory. Um, but it's really just kind of become this term, I think, for a, a wide bucket of things that, that people don't like. And we've heard legislators talk about introducing bills to ban teaching critical race theory in public schools. Uh, Pastor, do you want to talk about what's going on with all of this? Yeah, so we are, Kifa is making plans to advocate regarding this issue. Uh, and we are trying to oppose any legislation that comes that comes down the pipe that that's going that will be proposed uh, that restricts, of course, the teaching of a comprehensive view of of, of Kansas and American history. Uh, that we think that it's important to value the history of all people, all Americans, and all Kansans. We think that it's uh, it's not healthy for our children to learn partial versions of history, especially if we want to prepare them to function highly in a global, uh, global, what I call global, which is both glo global and local, global community. 
Uh, and we think that teachers need to have the freedom to be able to teach honestly without worry and concern about interference from politicians and legislators. So uh, we are preparing both uh, to oppose uh, any such legislation. We're planning to uh, organize both grassroots, grassroots and top roots folks to come together uh, to voice their concerns and their opposition to any such legislation. And we're also hoping to just pull some folks together, some legislat legislators together who will uh, find some common ground and find ways to not support any such legislation that might be proposed. You know, some of these these parts of our history are are difficult to, even as adults to reconcile with. I imagine these are difficult lessons for for children. But are, are we confident that our children are are capable of of processing these things, understanding them, having I think healthy conversations? Yeah, I mean, I think as as we've always done, American history is taught uh, age appropriate. So. You know, we they we don't we typically don't expect a fifth grader to to uh, to ex to experience or to hear or to learn history on a twelfth uh, uh, on a twelfth grade level. A fifth grader to learn on a twelfth grade level. It's it's age appropriate. So in the same sense, which we want to teach comprehensive American history, but we want it to be taught in a, in a way that's age appropriate. Uh, but to certainly be honest about that history and to be inclusive about that history, because I think that that, uh, and again, I want to repeat this, that to say that any part of American history doesn't matter is in some sense saying that those people don't matter. And and I think I think it's a core value of all Americans, but particularly people of faith uh, who uh, with whom Kifa works, that those people of faith believe in value in the humanity of all people. It's important to recognize too, I think, that there's some you know, some elements of systemic racism that have been built into our society that, that continue to have an impact today. Absolutely. Thank you. Something we've noticed as, as this conversation has come up is that what's taught in schools is not very comprehensive even now. Right. Um, very you know, true. So, so many of us, I'm, a, I'm an adult, um, and I didn't really know very much about Tulsa uh, until it became oh. um, more prominent last year. I think there's a history in Kansas. You know, we have somewhat of a smattering of understanding of Free State and Brown v. Board, but we don't know the history of sundown towns. We don't know the history of uh, Nicodemus necessarily. I mean, there's um, there's a lot there to be taught, um, and certainly not all of it is uh, is um, is horrible. <laughs> you know, I think the best part, what what I, the way I would say it is that. The best part of American history is overcoming the worst parts. You know, the, the, the greatest Americans are ones in our history are ones that stood up against injustice. And that and you have to know what the injustice is to be able to appreciate the standing up to it. Um, but there are names, you know, there's a couple of names that people know, but there are many names that people don't know in Kansas and, and across the country. And it's really showing that, you know, so what are you afraid of if you're not really teaching it anyway? Um, but what, what it's really showing is there's a, there's there's a lot to be proud of, uh, you know, not 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 the injustice, but the overcoming of injustice, which we've continually done uh, over the course of our history, and, and that's something to celebrate. Absolutely, yeah. You know, I I didn't learn about the Exodusters movement in school. It was something I learned even after I graduated college, right. uh, and I, I'm 
you know, ashamed to admit that I, I didn't know anything about Tulsa until the, uh, it became kind of part of the public popular culture in uh, HBO series called the, the Watchmen a couple years ago, you know, talking to friends later and, and, and realizing that this actually happened was, was a stunning revelation for me. And to, and to connect it to the question of systemic racism. So, you know, I live in Johnson County and Johnson County has a history of redlining and sort of racial and also anti-Jewish uh, covenants, um, limits, limiting where people could live. Um, you know, those things still affect uh, life today. You know, we talked to, you, you were asking about sort of systemic racism and how our history or the history of, of, of Black Americans not being able to access the GI Bill or not being able to access FHA loans, you know, not being able to build wealth within by housing, which a lot of Amer which a lot of white Americans were able to do. So the history of that still affects us today because it's that's wealth that's not built up. And why Johnson County is such a, you know, is, is only now sort of growing a, a, a black and brown population. You know, these things that 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 are history also affect us today. And that's another another piece of what we're um, what we're advocating for is to be aware of how our history affects what what the situation is today. And just to say that, you know, just to ban the term systemic racism or to ban the term diversity. I mean, what are you what are you trying to accomplish by doing that? You're certainly not trying to address the the injustices. You're trying to sweep them under the rug. And one of our big slogans here is, you know, black history is American history. And it's not there's white history. You know, there's there's American history, which is, you know, white history and then there's the history of african americans it's all our history and and as i said the greatest triumphs of our history are overcoming some of the worst injustices of our history before we move on to the next topic one last history question i have uh, for you rabbi deals with the holocaust comparisons that we saw during debates this fall leading up to the special session where people who are being asked to to get vaccinated or wear a mask are comparing their grievance to the Holocaust and what the, the Jewish people suffered. Uh, we saw a family wearing gold stars to one of the hearing. How does it feel to, to see this extraordinary historical tragedy is seemingly trivialized in this way? Well, there's a, there's a Yiddish term, which is oy vey. <laughs> So I think you might understand what I mean by that. Um, you know, there's no, I mean, I don't even know where to start with this. I mean, um, you're comparing a public health measure that's meant to save lives to one of the, one of history's greatest tragedies, um, one of history's greatest crimes. Um, <laughs> you know, Jews were not, were not able to opt out. Um, nobody's really being punished. Uh, you may end up losing, you know, in theory, you would end, you could end up losing your job if you didn't get vaccinated, but that's not the same thing as being put into a cattle car. You know, my my our history, my history is not here for somebody else for somebody else's political point um, to to make to make somebody else's political point. It's completely inappropriate, and it's actually one of the reasons, um, you know, sort of tagging it back to to teach the truth, um, uh, is that you know there was a kid in Olathe who invited his date to the prom using a slavery uh metaphor and it's you know that's that's similar to what we're talking about which is people just don't understand that what they're saying is wildly inappropriate and the reason they don't understand it is because they're nobody's talking about it you know those folks prom dates say yes what's that 
Did the prom date say I yes? I don't remember. I don't think we got to that. Part. I don't remember. Yeah. Um, but I, I, you know, I think the question is like, how do you know that something is inappropriate or dangerous? I mean, somebody puts something up like that on Facebook, their life, that their life could be ruined uh, because that the internet doesn't go away. You know, whether that family who, who wore that star inappropriately and I would say anti-Semitically was aware of the implications of what they were saying, I don't know, but somebody's going to, you know, that, that the, the daughter in that family or, you know, the child in that family is going to have to live with that for the rest of her life because, mm. you know. That's a good point. I, I tried to speak with the family members that day and, and the daughter, I just came away with the sense that it was just like, I can't believe dad is embarrassing me in this way again, you know? Um, she didn't exactly express that, but that was the impression that I got. My kids don't like it when I sing. Well, we <laughs> right. parade out in public in a, you know, a historically offensive, uh, you know, costume. <laughs> well, let's move on to uh, economic justice. And there are some bullet points here that, uh, that you guys have identified um, eliminating the state sales tax on food, removing barriers from food assistance and childcare assistance, Medicaid expansion, uh, payday loan reform. Let's talk about Medicaid expansion because this is an issue that has dominated the legislature for years. Right. Um, we know it would help. Uh, estimates range from, I think, 120,000 to 175,000 low-income family members in Kansas. Most of those would be children. Um, it, the cost to the state would pale in comparison to the amount of federal cash that would flood in. Um, but we also know that maybe because this has been a priority of Governor Laura Kelly, the Republican legislature has refused to accept it. And with the more conservative legislature we, we have following the, the 2020 elections, I just I don't see any realistic way that this gets passed uh, in any time in the near future. What do you guys think? Well, I can't disagree with that analysis. Um, you know, we've had this on our legislative priority list since I think 2017. Um, and we were very active before the 2020 election. We were very active in doing some direct action and really being active and, and vocal and helping to do rallies and, 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 and bring a lot of pressure on this issue. Of course, the 2020 election really put a damper on a lot of that. You know, we're still in the coalition that's working on this issue. We still have, uh, there's a group called Faith Voices for Medicaid Expansion, which some of our strong supporters are involved with. Um, I would not, I would not take it off the legislative priorities list um, for that reason. I mean, I think we've always said that it's the, it's the most accomplishable moral priority in the state of Kansas. Um, it has a huge effect on people's lives. Uh, the arguments against it are very poor. Um, but it's a it's a it's a political power play, and it went from Susan Weigel did it, and Ty Masterson is doing it, and it's the ability you know le leadership can decide what gets heard and what doesn't get heard. Um, yeah, you know, I, and I, and it doesn't even seem like there's that much of a political cost to it at this stage. Uh, so we we kept it on the agenda because we stand for it. We'll continue to talk about it. Um, if there's rallies about it, we'll participate. If there's lobbying about it, we'll participate. Um, but I also agree that. Um, there doesn't seem to be much of a path forward right now. And I think a, a majority of Kansans polls have showed would support Medicaid expansion. Uh, the Kansas Health Institute is, has done a number of studies on this. I think one of them showed that nearly everybody who would benefit from Medicaid expansion is already employed at least part-time. 
uh, which is one of the misconceptions that, that we sometimes hear that this is just about giving a handout to people who don't want to work. Right. Um, and that's, well, we, that's just one of the, one of the arguments that we saw, one of the arguments on our side is that it actually helps people who are disabled be in the workforce because the, the Medicare, the, Med, the Medicaid limits, regular Medicaid limits in Kansas are so small that working at all would endanger your Medicaid. Um, so people can't work because they would have, they would lose their health insurance and not make enough to get, you know, not make enough to get in health insurance in any other way. So they end up not working um, as opposed to kind of working part-time, getting back into the workforce, having the activity, the personal responsibility, um, and still being able to maintain their, uh, their access to health care. Uh, this would address that. So it's actually a disincentive to work, uh, a very strong disincentive to work for people who, are, who, are, who have disabilities. Pastor, the, the governor and the attorney general, who's the likely opponent to her in the governor's race this year, uh, have both supported eliminating the sales tax on food. Do you want to talk about the kind of impact that this would have on families in Kansas? Oh, gosh. I mean, uh, it would certainly impact the, the people of lowest income. Uh, it would uh, it would allow afford. I mean, so, for example, here in the zip code that I'm in, we're in a food desert so on top of the sales food, uh, the food sales tax. It's a food desert. So food is expensive. Healthy food is rare. Uh, being able if we if we get rid of the food sales tax that would drastically help the poorest kansans and uh and just just be a, a tremendous economic boost for them so uh I, what do you think Marty? is that one of our what what's the likelihood of us what kind of support do we have for well that? everybody says they want it the question is what kind of bill will come out hmm. um, you know we we're asking for a clean bill that just addresses the this food sales tax issue, um, there's a possibility that they could throw a bunch of different stuff into it that would make it uh, more difficult. In the past, the uh, legislature has passed uh, uh, tax bills that give big tax cuts to wealthy people and then an incremental cut in the food sales tax. We want it to be cut completely so that it's not continued to be an issue every every year. Uh, we're not, we're not um, you know, finagling uh, one two percent. We want it to be to be eliminated completely, um, and we want also want it to be un, unconnected to any other kind of tax policy um, that would that would put the state in a bad situation or that would continue to prioritize uh, easing the tax burden on the wealthy and on corporations. I'm interested in the the idea of removing barriers from food assistance and childcare assistance. Uh, in part because I do a lot of reporting on the foster care system in Kansas, and I know there are a lot of advocates who point to the HOPE Act that was passed during uh, Governor Sam Brownback's uh, era that, that really made it much harder to get access to these, these kind of programs. Um, they're, they're federal programs that the state runs with, with federal assistance um, for, for food and for child care support. Um, a lot of times we confuse uh, poverty for neglect in the foster care system. And this led to a nearly a doubling of the number of kids who were entering foster care in a very short period of time, which placed this incredible strain on the system. Um, but we did see a little bit of movement in a committee hearing in the House side last year, um, particularly regarding the child care assistance. One of the restraints here is that before you can get child care assistance, you have to actively engage with the 
the other the other spouse, uh, the person the who parent. is yeah the the other parent. Excuse me. Um, thank you for correcting me. And a lot of times these are dangerous situations where you have a, a a woman who has separated herself from a violent individual, perhaps who for whatever reason has no interest in bringing him back into her life. But before she can get assistance, she has to go to him and ask him for money. Uh, and, it, and it creates these very dangerous power struggles. Um, what what are your thoughts on on this? Are there other ideas out there? Do we think this can gain traction other than just what we saw from the House Committee last year? Well, it passed the House Committee and then it kind of disappeared. Um, I'm not exactly sure what happened because usually if a bill passes a committee and doesn't go through the floor, it still is on the books for the next year. But for some reason, this bill is not on the books. I don't know what happened there. Um, we, we expect to go back to that same committee um, and we, we expect it to pass out of that committee again. Uh, the issue is getting it to the floor and getting it passed on the floor. Um, I think we have the votes for it if it gets to the floor, but once again, you're in a situation where leadership can decide what gets to the floor and what doesn't get to the floor, um, you know, within reason. I mean, there's also possibilities of doing of doing amendments and things like that. But yeah, I think you spoke to it. You spoke to it very well. Um, you know, the other one is to uh, include work, uh, loosening work requirements to to allow for education mm. um, or job training. Uh, that's, that's another. And these are these are modest. These are kind of the lowest hanging fruit. Um, within that, within that 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 set of uh, legislation that you that you mentioned, um, there's a number of people in the legislature in leadership positions who have a lot of investment in the Hope Act, uh, so we don't really have a we don't really have a uh, much of a chance to kind of address its inequities um, overall. Uh, but these 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 sort of bite-sized pieces would bring. Uh, would would actually improve people's lives and would not um, undermine the welfare reform uh, efforts of, pre, uh, of years past. Uh, so we think, and we do think we have the support for it. We think it's a, certainly a, a viable and a, and a, um, a doable uh, uh, ask this year. You're right. There are, there are legislators who see the HOPE Act as kind of a, a legacy accomplishment. Uh, and that makes it difficult to even kind of bring up the conversation sometimes about rolling back. Almost the only one left. <laughs> yes. I mean, there's not that many sort of a brown, you know, of the, of the Brownback era. There's not that much left of the of the policies of the Brownback era. Um, I guess the foster care disaster is part of a legacy of the Brownback era. Um, but this particular one is still the the tax policy failed. This this um, this has failed also, but uh, but. You're right. It's it, it it it's it's something that people can really um, defend as a as a as a priority. Do you want to quickly touch on payday loan reform before we move on to the next section? Uh, so we're part of a coalition called Hands for Payday Loan Reform. Uh, there was a bill heard in the House Committee last year uh, that would limit the uh, upper level of of uh, of interest rates on. Uh, short-term unsecured debt, uh, which can be up, which can, the interest rates can go up to 400% um, at this stage. Uh, we had a bill, um, the coalition supported a bill. Uh, we, we negotiated a little bit with the chairman of that committee, uh, Representative Kelly, but he's he's not interested in moving that bill forward. Um, so right now it's, it's stuck. Uh, we're looking to move into a more grassroots approach uh, these, the, the history of this issue is that 
over the course of time, it comes up because it, it's a very onerous and predatory industry. Uh, it comes up, you know, from time to time, and uh, and then it doesn't go anywhere. Uh, it, it it's up against a very powerful industry, and and a lot of a lot of money and a lot of lobbyists are against dealing with this issue. Um, our what what usually happens is that the grassroots who are proposing reform, once the once the thing hits hits the wall, the coalition dissipates, and that's what that's what the industry is depending on. If you look at all the issues that are on our list of uh, legislative priorities, uh, advocacy priorities, the, it seems like they're all all aimed at, you know, uh, the other side, it's aimed, a lot of this stuff is aimed at. If you're poor and brown, dark skin, and you're a Kansan, uh, it, feel, it can feel like the world is against you. And so, <laughs> so, uh, th and this just adds to it. So, you know, the, the, the food sales tax, uh, you don't, they don't want our history. Folks can say they don't want our history uh, taught. Uh, when we get in trouble and we need a loan, we need some financial resources. The only ones that are available that will loan us money is predatory lending. It's just on every turn. And then we have any, we're about to mention, I'm, I assume the voting issue. It I just, was going to say, it probably feels yeah. like they don't want you to vote either don't want you to vote. And so, and then if you add to that for African-Americans who, who constitute only 5% of population, so you there's, there's no hope of you ever being able to really pull together enough Af black folks to really uh, voice that. So that's why it's important we have groups like Kifa. And as you and I were talking earlier before we came on, uh, that that's why we, we talk about these issues and advocate for them, even if we know we feel like that there's really, at the moment, there's not a way forward for any positive legislation. It's still important we talk about it because I think it's important. It's a moral act to give voice to it. But then also, I think Multi will want to want, you know, will want us to know and keep in mind that the work of Kifa goes all the way from the actual work on legislation, opposing legislation, but also educating, uh, uh, c pulling folks together, build, building coalitions and all of that which we believe eventually ends up in affecting legislation. So uh, I think it's important for us to give voice to these things and to, to, to work on them on multiple levels with the ultimate goal of impacting what happens in the legislature. One of the, the priorities here is to have work to ensure that the new state and federal district lines are drawn fairly and through a transparent process. Uh, this redistricting, uh, as we call it, happens after the, the census count every 10 years. Legislature will be tasked with coming up with these new boundaries. Uh, a decade ago, they they were unable to, to produce uh, something before the clock ran out and the courts wound up having to do it for them. You know, we talk about the interest in in drawing fair boundaries. Do we have any any notion that that's actually going to happen in a, a legislature that is dominated by one party uh, with an interest in in getting a Democrat out of Congress? Um, well, I think the priorities for us uh, are making sure that areas of interest, areas with common interests stay together. So for instance, not breaking up Wyandotte County, hmm. um, you know, not separating uh, South Wyandotte County from North Johnson County. That district has right. to be 
has to lose the population because it's overpopulated for the for the lives that it currently has. I've seen a map drawn, a proposed map drawn that would cut Wyandotte in in such a way that part of Wyandotte would be incorporated with the the big first district that goes all the way to the Colorado border. So I, I think we saw a similar map ten years ago. Um, so one thing is to make sure that areas of common interest stay together, and the other thing is to make sure that where there is the possibility that minority communities and poor communities and black and brown communities can can elect representation, concurrently re elect representation, that that not be taken away from them. Um, it would be very easy for the legislate for the legislature to carve up, say, Topeka in such a way that every district goes into the countryside and that the white vote overwhelms the black vote, even though Topeka is a largely black and brown city. So you'd end up in a situation where people would not have representation. You could do that in Wichita, you can do that in, in, in Wyandotte County. Uh, we're, we're strongly against that. Where there is, it's very important for people to be represented. It's very important for people to be in office who you know, look like the constituency that they're there to serve, that have similar interests to the constituency that they're there to serve. So those two principles are the, are the operating principles for us, which is keeping areas of interest together and making sure that uh, minority electoral po power is not completely undermined by a gerrymandered process. You know, as to whether, um, you know, there's a chance of success, you know, um, uh, I, you know, I can't. I can't really speak to that. Our 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 goal is to try to find cracks in the armor. Hmm. You know, um, we want to find. Uh, you know, it takes three Republicans in either chamber to sustain a veto. You know, if that can happen, then there can be negotiation. If they can run over Kelly, then they will. If they have to negotiate with their, um, you know, that that puts it in a different situation. You know, we're trying to figure out who the, who the who the loser is. On the Republican side, from redistricting and ask them to sustain a veto—that's poss that's possibly where this thing will go. Pastor, your thoughts on on redistricting? Well, I, I don't have anything to add to that other than say that I think, uh, you know, with with the issue that the last issue multi mentioned about the veto, uh, it, I you know I'm I hold out hope that if we can talk about these issues and this issue in particular way to bring some humanity to it. I don't know how to do that. I don't have a clue if that's even possible and and move it beyond just the realms of the realm of politics, the limitations of, of political conversations that there can be enough of a enough compassion to do things such as sustain a veto. So, you know, and this is a national example, of course, which is Kansas to me, in terms of the the, uh, the difference between minority majority white majority population, but but Joe Manchin, of course, in the Senate, hinted that he might be open to the uh, to changing the filibuster. The mean the minute he does that, there's a conservative Republican response that says, "Okay, we might be open to some semblance of voter reform." Right. Yeah. So. Yeah. So, so, well, and multi has helped help me with it. Is to remember, you know, that there may be one or two that are enough to sustain a veto from the governor, something of that sort. So, I, I do, rem I remain hopeful in that sense. Yeah. And we also hope for, I mean, <laughs> a number of these issues, we hope for some help from the federal government. I mean, right, right now, right now, Congress is really stuck. But if, you know, if there's ever, if there's voting rights legislation, that that changes the dynamic a lot too. Right. 
We have just a couple minutes left. If we want to touch quickly on climate justice issues, um, some of the the ideas you have lined out is supporting the development of a vibrant clean energy sector and opposing any effort to punish banks for or investment funds from rethinking their investments in fossil fuel infrastructure. Do you ever see the Do you ever see the movie Groundhog Day? <laughs> yeah, the movie yeah. Groundhog Day. So we're a little bit of a Groundhog Day with climate in the Kansas State Legislature. Right now, the chair of the Senate um, Utilities Committee is a stone climate change denier of the old school. Does not think climate change is real, thinks it's a hoax. This is former um, TV weatherman, former uh, TV Mike weatherman, Thompson. Mike Thompson, who is who by some ridiculous decision on Ty Masterson's part is in charge of that committee. And he hates renewable energy. And he's going to do whatever he can to undermine renewable energy. We have an industry in this state that has been hugely successful in terms of jobs, in terms of um, economic activity, in terms of uh, county support uh, uh, payments in lieu of taxes. Um, what are the few? What are the brightest spots of the Kansas of the Kansas economy over the last ten years? And the chairman of the utilities committee wants to destroy it. It makes absolutely no sense. Um, you know, we have we we are we, we're doing great on wind. We have a wonderful wind industry. We're not where we need to be on solar. Um, we have a lot of resources on solar that are underutilized. We don't have much efficiency. Um, the issue, you know, what we want to do is 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 continue to invest in a successful industry that brings jobs and economic activity to Kansas, and not to undermine it with ideologically driven, um, you know, uh, uh, crusades uh, against against climate science. Uh, it's irresponsible, it's immoral, and we're going to stand against it as strongly as we can. Climate change is a strongly moral issue. It's unfortunate that a Republican-led state can't seem to get it together to recognize what's happening and to help to address it. Um, but we're going to help to try to, we're going to try to help make them uh, be a little more reasonable. Esther, in the, the final 60 seconds here, can you draw the, the argument here for climate change from, from a faith-based point of view? Absolutely. So for, for me, coming out of, and I would say the Judeo-Christian heritage, some, some might not agree, uh, be okay with that. But for me, coming out of the Judeo-Christian heritage, I go to Genesis and the creation, God's creation with human beings and that it's community. It's a community of, of human beings and all of the rest of creation. And the human beings are given responsibility to care for it, to cultivate it, to care for it. And I think that, that out of that perspective, uh, we can approach it. I think from beyond the Judeo-Christian heritage, there's a sense of sacredness about creation and that a sense of uh, that as human beings, that as in some sense the crown of creation that we're given, we have a responsibility for caring for all of it. And so it becomes an issue that's uh, that can become a gathering source for people uh, from various faith traditions. The people who mm -hmm. have the less, least responsibility for causing the problem stand to suffer the most from it. That's what—that's black and brown people and it's poor people, just the same as are affected by every other injustice issue. That's why climate is a justice issue. We'll have to, to leave it there. Thank you for joining us on this episode of the Kansas Reflector Podcast. <laughs>